Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. My guest today is the commercial manager for Lewis FC, a football club that is not only committed to gender equality, but is really showcasing how, with the right approach, sport can be a catalyst for societal change. There are infinite creative ways that the 100% fan-owned club is doing this, but perhaps the most remarkable achievement is that Lewis FC became the first team across the globe to both pay and resource the men's and women's teams equally. Since this move in 2017, attendance and sponsorship have surged, which is testimony to the power of commitment, passion and innovation in driving real change. I'm really excited for this conversation, a first on Running and Joy in terms of speaking to a football team. Um, So I will now allow my guests to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing and welcome them to the podcast. Um, I feel like you've just given such a good introduction to the club. I'm not sure there's anything else I can add to that. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's okay it's a good joy to to have you on as I say I haven't had any kind of like football content before so just kind of tangentially with um you know people who've maybe their entry into sport has been football so um it, it's great to finally be able to delve into into the territory really <laughs> amazing we're, we're always grateful for like more content women's football and football in general that includes women so thank you very much brilliant well I'm just first interested to kind of delve a little bit into into your story and kind of journey to to working with the club has sport always been something that's important in your life um absolutely not so um I'm part of the demographic that we try to um get into the through the gates at Lewis Football Club. So I'm part of what we call women over the age of 35. Um, and we call the we call women who didn't have football in their lives when they were younger unwelcome women um, because we didn't do football when we were younger and we never felt comfortable within a football environment. Um, so there's loads of women like me who work at Lewis and are part of Lewis and are fans of Lewis um, who don't necessarily identify as football fans, but 
they love coming to Lewis because we just do things differently. We we have cocktails, we have nice food, um, we have a sign telling you where to breastfeed as soon as you walk through the gate. So we're a very, very different sort of football club. Um, and, you know, putting things like Prosecco on tap behind the bar and um, a range of cocktails sounds like something really small and not very you know, just just not a very big deal, but it is a big deal within football. Um, I go to loads of away games and I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be drinking bad beer or, uh, or I don't want to be eating a greasy burger. And there's loads of women like me and like our fans who want, you know, a space where they can just be themselves and the space that they can call like their own. And yeah, and Lewis is all about that. So I, I, I absolutely hated sports when I was younger. I didn't do sports at all. Um, you know, I did all of the things that um, girls were expected to do. I did dance and I did drama and I did all of that. But I fell in love with football um, in my 30s and I started playing football as a complete beginner. Um, and yeah, and then I found Lewis and Lewis became home. That's amazing. I mean, like, because I... I played football at school and and at university, um, but it was very much kind of, there was the girls team and I'm doing mm. air quotes here. Um, it <laughs> certainly wasn't seen as something that was massively competitive and was perhaps a little bit of a joke sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like perceptions are obviously changing, but was what your perception of football growing up, was it that kind of, I'm going to deliberately stereotype here, this kind of quite blokesy mm-hmm. thing that just happened over there that you never kind of saw yourself being represented as a part of and therefore felt like something that you couldn't take part in? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the thought wouldn't even have crossed my mind. Um, it's, you know, it just wasn't my space. It wasn't, it wasn't my thing. Um, which is really sad because football's opened so many doors to me. I've met the most amazing women and um, literally the most amazing women I've met in my life. I've met through football and um, women who play football and who are part of football are generally incredible. Um, so, you know, so it is quite sad and we want as many women as possible to know that we can be their home and, you know, they can, try change their local team if we're a bit too far for them to make it their home as well um it's incredibly sad really when there's a place which doesn't accept people you know because of their gender or the way they are so you know it is being inclusive is something which is really really important to us mm. and in terms of your kind of professional career up to to joining lewis so what, what how did that trajectory work um, so I actually came from an education background. So I, I I held a senior position in international education for a really long time. Um, so that's where I sort of get my commercial um, brain from. Um, and, you know, women's football in general, it's very different to men's football because it is essentially a startup. So the way the way we think, the way we need to innovate, um, we don't want to be exactly the same as the men's game. Um, as for the examples I mentioned previously, you know, we we want a unique product that, you know, caters for everyone. So I think having that commercial startup brain is incredibly important when you're working um, in, in women's football. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, I mean, I referenced in my introduction that you are you do from the outset seem so creative in your approaches to things. And it, I hadn't framed it in terms of it being that creative opportunity that being a startup really does embody, doesn't it? And not having almost kind of like the the baggage that, that goes before because you're in a completely kind of innovation based 
arena really aren't you yeah exactly and we're, we're in quite a privileged position really we don't at Lewis Football Club we don't have um we do have a men's team and we we love our men's team and they they fight with us for gender equality with with everything we do and you know they run their own campaigns and they're great um but we don't have um like a strong men's Premier League club kind of telling us what to do, um, which which a lot of women's clubs um, sadly have. So we can be as creative as possible. Mm. And actually, just thinking about that, because one of my um, my first questions, sort of directly um, to do with with Lewis, is about kind of the how you grow community, not just specifically in terms of women's football, but what's the importance of you being fan owned, um, just for an audience that might not be familiar with that terminology as well, um, and how that has an impact on the club. I think you've kind of touched on a, on a bit of what that might allow you to do, but if you could just go into a little bit more detail there. We had um, an investment process this year where we could have potentially got some outside investment into the club. And again, it was the fans who um, who voted for this. We, we answered around 400 questions based on the investment because the owners really wanted to know what was happening within the club, but they also wanted to drive the future of the club and have a really informed decision on, you know, on, on what they were making. So our, our fans and our owners are literally the club and they are literally creating um, the future of the club and the future of football, which is really, really powerful. Mm. And then how do you kind of nurture and, and grow that community? Um, so our owners, actually, they're not just within Sussex. We have owners in 40 countries um, across the world, which is amazing. We have owners in, you know, from Italy to like Kazakhstan. We have loads of owners in America, um, which is which is great. And I mean, most of the time we, we've got like our local owners who become owners because, you know, that they, they want to part of their local club and you know they can do things like get discounts in shops but then a lot of our owners abroad it's just a nod to um everything you know we're doing so you know before we went live with this conversation you, you said to me you read an article about us in the guardian so loads of people come across articles like that and then go you know this is just like a, a vote and sometimes that's a, a protest vote because they want to be telling the world this is the kind of football club um, they want to be part of, and this is the way they want football to be running. Um, the way we nurture it, um, so th there's very, very few of us who work behind the scenes, um, like on the business side. Um, there's only three of us and our CEO who also looks at the football side and the business side. So, you know, we're not, we don't have like a huge resource and we don't have loads of people running the club. Um, but we run monthly town halls with our owners where we give them updates on the club, both on the football side and on the business side. Um, our fans during the town hall can ask questions um, and give feedback. So generally we nurture it by our town halls. Our owners can also email us at any time, um, you know, when they can be part of whatever process 
um, we are going through. But with regards to building our movement and our fan base, a lot of that is organic, mainly because we don't have huge amount of resources. It's really interesting to think about that in terms of a, a sort of a political framework in a way that it's that it's a vote for what you want the future of football to be, not just a vote on on a local level. And it's interesting. I kind of want to come on to um, a bit later in a bit more detail, that idea of you being a local club, but with a real kind of global reach. You know, the, the impact of your work is so huge that people are picking it up. You aren't necessarily going to be able to come and watch watch a home game. And you get a sense on your um on your Instagram as well and kind of social media, like the passion that some of your owners feel as as well towards the club. I saw um one guy who was on Pointless who'd used that as an opportunity on the TV <laughs> to to talk about the club. And is that something that is pretty emblematic of the of the the feeling that that people have when when they when they sign up to be an owner yeah i mean absolutely i mean you even see like people on linkedin you get notifications sometimes that says oh your colleague just posted and then there's just someone random who you've never met who have like owner of Lewis FC on like their LinkedIn and so many people have that on like their Twitter as well, which is just which is just wonderful. Like I I love that all of these people feel that they're such a big part of the club. Um and a lot of that is because we are the only club that is doing what we're doing, which is, you know, incredibly sad. Um, but also also this movement is just absolutely beautiful. Mm, I mean, you must feel incredibly frustrated I mean considering also that again we'll get more onto this but the success of the model that that you are implementing to to see that others aren't picking it up um I imagine that's that's difficult I mean women's football in general has got so much better in like the last um couple of years so there's you know we're, we're starting to see quite a few changes taking place um, so, you know, sometimes it's frustrating, but then also we need to look at like the little wins and how far we've come in in general. Mm. I mean, obviously, there's been the big story of everyone following the Lionesses in particular. And we might say that women's football is kind of at last finally having a moment. <laughs> um, um, but that kind of the if we think of the Lionesses being sort of like the crest of the wave, that can only occur because of the energy of the way behind it as well and I'm interested to actually just get on to now kind of looking at what uh, Lewis has has done in particular and when did that moment come when the club decided to try to push forwards for ensuring um, parity between the genders? Um, So the Lewis FC story actually is one of male allies um, so there was um, a, two amazing, amazing men who decided um, on on equality in general, and that's what they wanted to push forward um, for the future. So, you know, at the moment, we've got um, loads of women in the club and we've got women leadership. Um, however, you know, in, in order for equality to happen, like I personally believe we really need our male allies and we really need people um fighting for equality as well who are who are not necessarily women um because it you know in the sad world we live in generally you are taken more seriously when you're a man talking about equality sometimes so male allies in general in the movement um are really really important 
Mm. And is that something that you focus on in terms because it's not just a women's football team, there's there's a men's team too. Um, And is that something that you also focus on in terms of um, how you empower them to be allies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our men's team have for the last few years, we've run a call him out campaign um, where they call out any misogyny or sexism they see online or within um, our stadium and we've got like a, a zero tolerance policy um, and generally you know it, it is quite hard especially when you're a young man to be to be calling out misogyny um, but it's a big part of our DNA um, and you know you, you kind of have to be a male ally to be working at Lewis or um, you know to be a very difficult place to work um, so uh, yes yeah, so it is definitely something we empower. Mm. And can we just break down also what what equality actually looks like at the club so that could be in terms of in pay in resources and participation to kick us off um so equal pay is is part of what we do but it is like a very 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 small part of what we do um in in general um so we we, we've spoken about like visibility and visibility in press like most of the time um it's not just the press that's giving a women's football team visibility but it's also the club um, so I always encourage fans of, of men's football to go onto their um, website of the team they support and to check how much visibility they're giving their women's team. Um, you know, where on the tabs is their women's team? Does it say um, men's team under 23s, all the teams and then the women's team? Or do they have like a relevant tab that is equal to the men's? Um, on Instagram and on socials, do we have team or do we have team women so looking at like you know visibility and the visibility you give both teams um you know that doesn't cost any money you know people always say oh equality costs so much money but equal respect and representation on socials and websites um gives your women's team much needed visibility and it doesn't cost anything um so those are like the simple things but we also do things like gender specific um health care so for instance we have a pelvic floor specialist that comes in and does work with women, uh, with our women's team. We 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 use this um, wonderful platform um, called Fitter Fitter Woman, where we track their menstrual cycles and then um, match their nutrition and um, match their training to whatever their menstrual cycles are telling us. So it's it's not just you know equality is not necessarily treating everybody the same, but it's treating everybody in a, in a way that they are then equal to everyone else and. For years, you know, within within sports, we've treated men's teams in exactly the same way as we have our women's teams. And, you know, that, you know, women's bodies are different. They need different things. So it's, you know, our, our coaching women as women um, is, is really important within the club um, as well. So, you know, it's really hard to define quality and everything we do around equality with, with not just our teams, but also our fans and making sure we're catering to all sorts of fans that that come into the stadium so um yeah so I, I think I'd need around four hours to talk through all, all of the different um, equality stuff we do no but I think you made an interesting distinction there it is between equality and equity you know actually getting the women to be able to participate in the first place and it, it entails identifying those needs like you said which is actually also treating women differently if need be in terms of the approach that you have with 
nutrition and not just gaslighting the whole thing and forcing them into a model that that doesn't work for them so that then allows them to be the best players that they can be i mean there are quite a few teams now who are looking into gender specific care um but you know from from hearsay it's, it's around three teams in the country at the moment who are you know really looking into um you know pelvic floor care and um using cycles and 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 all of that and um, in terms of like community engagement you talked a little bit at the beginning um about some of the wonderful initiatives that you have kind of in in the stadium and things as well for for getting fans engaged so what about getting women into into watching football as well as playing it there's there does as we've discussed kind of still tend to be a little bit of a kind of masculine stereotype over what a football fan looks like and how do you how have you got about kind of addressing that and and signposting that watching football is a space that women can really be energized by and participate in on on an equal in an equal way (laughs) and so the fan identity process is really complicated so you you don't automatically you know enter the space become a fan and identify as 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 a fan of football um, I had a conversation very recently with with one of our fans who's actually been to quite a few games this season and she didn't want to buy a football shirt because she, in her own words, is not a real football fan, even though she watches football and she does, you know, pop in quite regularly. I think it's quite, for women who haven't grown up with football, it, it, is, it is quite like an identity shift, actually shifting from, you know, somebody who brunches on a Sunday to somebody who pops into a football club on a Sunday. It might sound like a really small thing, but it is quite it, it is quite a big a big shift. So, you know, all of the sound signposting like the the, the breastfeeding signs I mentioned, the the lovely food, um, the drinks behind the bar. Um, there was somebody on on Twitter a few weeks ago who posted a really lovely picture of themselves with drinking a cocktail. Um, inside our bar and the, the, the caption said let's start a petition for more cocktails in football clubs please <laughs> it's really lovely um, but then we do quite a lot of activities and run quite a lot of events that that help women to um, become part of our club so sometimes we do things like running vote swaps so where, where people bring um, we, they're fabulous. So the last time we did this, we had over fifty women um, across the stadium bring in um, ten items of clothing, and then they swapped their clothes with like other women um, who were visiting. Um, we run a pit side um, community garden as well, so we get like lots of older people who want to pop in garden once a week and volunteer. Um, and again, that's like a nice little bridge between like, you know, gardening and football. And then we also run events called the Offside Rule and all that jazz, where we have a representative from um, the football side of things um, who comes over to meet our fans to sometimes, you know, explain, you know, really, you know, rules which are, you know, simple and, you know, obvious perhaps to somebody who's watched football all of their lives, but not too obvious for people who may not feel too comfortable while watching football um but then what's really lovely about these evenings as well is um the people who come get quite a lot of insider information um and you know we we share perhaps some things which um 
which we sh- which we shouldn't. We we tr- we try to give them like lots of like insider information. So when they are within you know within the stadium, um, speaking to other fans, they know something to to bring them in the inn. Um, so they're mm-hmm. definitely then a part of the club. Um, and we we love this, and we have quite a few women now who come to all of our events and who come to all of our matches. So we you know it's it's. It's a, a time-consuming way of growing a fan base, but it's uh, it's a really lovely way of growing a fan base too. And also the way that makes people stick as well. And it, it's really interesting that you've taken that route in terms of education as well, which is something that I that I was thinking of and reflecting on as being important in order that people, you know, you don't become a fan of a sport if you don't understand it. And that's not from not wanting to, it's maybe come from a history of sort of having people sit you down saying, now let me explain the offside rule to you. <laughs> and you, you're sick of hearing it. And, and that comes from an assumed um, assumed position that you are ignorant whilst actually having an evening where everybody is is part of this experience and wants to learn that's entirely different and doesn't switch you off it switches you on to something and and completely like rectifies that problem with explaining things <laughs> in a condescending manner that that isn't educative um it, it, it's about re-establishing that kind of power imbalance with things so I think that sounds like that sounds amazing and obviously why people keep gravitating back and feeling comfortable to come back <laughs> and I I saw that one of your directors um Karen uh, I might mispronounce her surname Dobrez Dobrez um was quoted as saying a while back as um Lewis uses football as an engine for social change so I'm kind of curious as to how Lewis is going about this kind of wider advocacy um, in inciting meaningful change uh, both kind of like in the community and then in encouraging other clubs to follow your example and um, so Karen was actually one of the architects of Equality FC so she was one of the people who um, masterminded a lot of the stuff that we do within the club And one of the things that she created um, as part of the strategy is she created, she 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 put together a a a portfolio, we might call them of sisterships. Um, and they're all um charities, they're all organizations who um who fight for women's rights and who do things for women. So for instance, we have um Rise, our local domestic abuse charity. Um, um, are another one called the Survivors Network, which is a rape crisis charity. So we work with these sisterships so we can help profile them and they can do things like fundraising um, in within the club. We introduce them to like some of our own partners and sponsors and our own fans. Um, but we also run campaigns with them. So it was White Ribbon Day in the club um, a couple of weeks ago that we ran um, with um the the rape crisis charity the, the survivors network and they also help us with our training of the men's team when it comes to like our call him out campaign um so you know so that is one of the more formalized ways um that we are making change um but then you know in in general um just seeing women play every single sunday at a high level when you're not necessarily the sort of person who watches football, like we, we think that is inspirational as it, it already needs, it, it doesn't really need, um, you know, it, it doesn't need much structure for social change because it already is um, an inspiration. 
And also with, you know, there's research which shows that um, young girls who play team sports when they're younger, they've got more chance of working in C-suite positions when they're older. Um, and you can't become what you don't see. So helping with visibility, being in the press, um, growing our fan base, making sure um, we've got all of the young families with children coming in. You know, all, all of that is all of that is part of part of cultural change. Um, something that we hear a lot, um, I think I've probably heard it around three times um, this season from fans is um, people who have, you know, girls and boys who come to watch the game. Like a lot of the, this current generation are growing up to be quite gender blind. So they don't really, you know, they watch our men's team on the Saturday and they watch our women's team on the Sunday. And for a lot of like really young children, they can't really see the difference with genders while watching football. And I, I'm, I'm quite excited about, you know, the world with, have you know having these children as adults in the future I think will be will be amazing yeah I think it's so cool and I definitely agree I, I mean I'm a head of PSHE at the, at the school where I teach and more and more kind of when I'm doing lessons on on, on sort of gender stereotypes and I'm picking those that the children are genuinely confused by why why am I asking them what they think about kind of a, a guy being a, a a primary age teacher and things or like a woman being a paramedic or anything like that or or a kind of savior role kind of <laughs> traditionally going to a man and they genuinely just don't don't see that um and and find it really quite alienating I think to think that this is something in very recent history <laughs> that that women have had to had to grapple with really and still still carry that um but it's why that's the generation where hopefully what is being embedded now by people like you, they can pick up and run with it, really, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And let's just also kind of talk about sort of numbers and, and positive reinforcement, because obviously, you know, changes within a club also have to lead to to growth and 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 to to be, you know, tenable on, on a financial level as well. So what has kind of what cemented to the, the directors of the club that what you were doing was kind of taking it in the right direction? So, I mean, women's sports in general, even now, is a real growth area. Um, I mean, I, I think teams who aren't really investing in their women's team at the moment and give, not giving their women's teams the, the respect that they deserve um, are going to be losing out in the future. So, you know, like a lot of the growth is happening within women's sports um and not and not in men's sports at, at the moment um but you know with with equality um again you you know i'm going to go back to the article you saw of us in the in the guardian would we have been in the guardian if we weren't equality fc um you know the amount of visibility that we get in general um is a lot more than you know most teams four or five times our size and that's because we're doing things differently um, because we're doing the right thing. People people care about organisations doing the right thing. Um, but in general, our attendances, I mean, they, they've grown by like, you know, 400% that our attendances are just, you know, crazy compared to what they were like before equality. Um, we also have some of the best sponsors in women's sports in general. Um, so, you know, so, so the, the companies that are supporting us in general and, and, and funding our movement are you know some of the best in in women's sports in general 
So, you know, so financially, we've obviously seen the benefits um, with with everything we do, with with our attendances, with, um, you know, our food and drink, with our sponsorships, with everything. The, the, the model that we have at the moment has definitely worked. And, you know, we obviously recommend it to <laughs> to everyone else. And on that note, let's just turn a little bit to also what still needs to be done. How do you, how would you describe kind of the place that women's football is at currently, both positive and negative? <laughs> um, so the the positive, I think there is a lot more commercialization of the the sport, particularly within this last season. Um, so we we're seeing um women's teams play in in larger stadiums in the men's stadiums, and for people who who are listening who might not know this, like most women's teams play in um in on on pitches and in stadiums which which just aren't good enough um at all. So so the the stadiums are generally safe for the men's teams and then the women's teams sometimes don't even play in in the in the same city as the men's um and they could sometimes be playing like an hour outside of the city and again if you're a, a, a fan of of men's football and you're listening to this please check where your women's teams are playing and if, check whether their pitch is good enough and whether they've had to cancel um any of their matches in like you know tier one and tier two of football um, so you know where women play is is definitely an an important issue, but we're seeing that changing. You know within the last within this season, um, we, we're having you know a lot of the bigger teams play um, in their men's stadiums a lot more, and they're making a real effort to um, sell tickets and to build on um, their fan base as well. And you know the commercialization that we're seeing is is great. Um, we're also seeing things like um, kits made specifically for the women's team and like, you know, real progress of like some really beautiful designs and some really beautiful kits. Um, you know, so just the effort of trying to commercialise women's teams, there's still a lot to be done, but there is some progress being made, um, which is which is great. Um, in general, um, salaries and women's football are still really, really low. Um, so, you know, even within the, the the top tier within the WSL, um, not many women playing in the top tier will be able to fully retire when they finish playing football. Um, on average, people still earn, you know, according to what's been according to what's been in the news around um, £30,000 a year, which is, you know, that's, you know, playing football at the highest level possible. So when people finish their careers they need to completely reinvent themselves learn you know learn a new career um and that you know they're not able to be financially sustainable after a playing career after they've given up you know their weekends as a child and they're in you know the best years of their of their working life so again you know salaries need to be higher um and for salaries to be higher we need more investment and we need more funds into into women's football in general so that brings me back to the press and the press giving more cut more um coverage and then also partners and sponsors um coming in to to fund the women's game as well Mm, it's a chicken and egg really isn't it because I guess 
some of the arguments um, against sort of complete gender parity and with um, with financing, you know, increased salaries and things, is this coming back to the revenue argument that it's women's sports still not generating equivalent in terms of revenue? And do you have any thoughts around why that isn't a fair comparison to being made? Um, well, it, it generally, it isn't a fair comparison because, you know, we described women's football a few minutes ago as being a startup. And if you're not investing in that startup and if you're not giving that startup resource resources and if you're not trying to be as, as commercially savvy as possible with your women's team, then you can't really, you know, you can't really complain about lack of funds because, you know, it needs all of the things I mentioned as the examples of things we do are really, really time consuming. Um, and we do that on very little resource. So if you're, you know, if you're an old tradition, traditional men's club that generally already has a fan, a huge fan base and, you know, doesn't have to go into much effort selling tickets or selling merch, you know, then running a women's team sustainably is, you know, it's just a complete, it's a completely different product and it's so much work. So, you know, you can you can kind of understand why they don't do it in a way because it is a lot of work but it needs to be done because it's the right thing and I think if, if the work is being done I think you know in the next five ten years they're going to be reaping the benefits so it's 100% worth doing because we're going to see so much more growth in the game. Yeah, and it's thinking of it long term, isn't it, really, rather than the short term games, just like just like with everything in the world, like with renewable energy sources and things like that is the future. So but you've got to trust in the investment process in order to to get there and then reap the rewards of it, really. And what would you say to those clubs who are kind of nervous about making these changes? What might be the first steps towards doing this? I think the first step is, you know, as as simple as it sounds, it's the, their own visibility on on websites um, and on social media and on you know resource when it comes to socials in general um also like working on that fan base um again like you know I go to so many um get other games that that aren't loose FC games and it's it's really sad to see the really low attendance sometimes um so working on that fan base however long it takes is is important. I mean, this is also, as you were saying, kind of framing women's football as as a startup and something that is actually the same but very different from men's football. That strikes me also kind of as an opportunity to kind of cut a different path in terms of possibly not falling down some of the pitfalls of kind of premiership men's football and, you know, the, the astronomical amounts of money that get thrown around and, and different issues with sponsorship and things like that. So... How do you think that women's football can grow sustainably and, and and attract the kind of money that will allow players to to retire comfortably and things and and get the same recognition as men, but without going down the same road that possibly some parts of men's football has? Um, I think you know as as we've mentioned before, the the building on the on the fan base is is integral because we're not just taking fans of football, we're growing a new fan base who may not have considered football as a thing um, at all. So there's there's an entire different customer base um, that we're trying to build in. And um, also with, you know, with things like ticket prices, I mean, they're astronomical on like the, the, the top tier men's sides, um, but 
you know, in my opinion, sometimes in women's football, they're just a little bit too low. Um, you know, you don't want to be paying less than you do to go to the cinema to watch to watch a sport. And sometimes you do, even when you're watching a top level team. So I think giving it the, the respect it deserves um, when it comes to ticket prices, um, you being experimental with like merch lines and, um, you know, having things that people who aren't traditional football fans want to buy. Um, you know, I, I still remember the first product I bought that wasn't a Lewis FC product um, that I felt was was advertised um, to me. And it was it was the first time ever as a fan of off football that had you know been scrolling through Instagram and then found something that was an ad that was actually pitched at me. Like we don't get we don't get pitched to, you know, we don't get things that are made for us, sold to us. Um so I, I think it's just thinking about it as you would any other business and in a way kind of forgetting that it is that it is football we're talking about and just completely rewriting the book you're doing is you are treating very much whether they're men or women the players as people which I think so much of kind of the the wider sort of football in particular possibly like community is the the players just become products and and merchandise or investment opportunities whilst what you're doing is something very different very people driven on every level and do you think that that is kind of the the secret sauce so to speak as well um yes again a lot of what we do is like very very organic um so you know we're just we know our fan base we know which which we know which parts of our fan base we want to grow um, we know the sort of people we want to attract to the club. Um, and, you know, we, we strategize accordingly and then try to do as much impact as we possibly can throughout throughout the entire process as well. What would be like your ideal in in five years, say, for women's football? Um, so so at the moment, um, we're, well, Lewis FC within women's football is actually with the growth of women's football um it, it puts us at quite a vulnerable position which is which is quite ironic um so a lot of the teams we we play that have like huge men's sides they don't need to be making their own money dollar for dollar like we do they could they sometimes have like the men's side um you know floating in like four or five million into into their budgets every year um, you know, sometimes that feels like a bit of like a CSR project rather than thinking commercially about it. So, you know, so so the long term effects for clubs like ours, where we are um, independent and having to make our own money, um, it, you know, the, the future might be a little bit easier. But at the moment, we are um, in a scenario where loads of clubs are putting money into into their women's teams, so um, you know at the moment we are we are fighting to stay within the championship. Um, the ultimate best scenario for us is um, that we find a few more brands, a few more people that want to, you know, invest in the club, believe in this movement, um, want to be part of it. We'd love to grow our owners base. We'd love to get as many owners as possible because that helps us to be sustainable as well. 
Um, and, you know, ideally, we want to be playing in the WSL. We want to be in tier one and be playing football at the highest level possible because that gives us a better voice. So, you know, when we're shouting out um, about all of the things we shout out about, we have more of a chance of that voice being louder if we're playing in the top tier of football. Mm, absolutely. And should we just do a little plug here for your uh, your Christmas campaign to get people to buy buy an ownership for people in your life um for what is it 50 pounds that you're recommending i think it's on your social media yes it's 50 pounds for one year um and that's you know it's it's incredibly good value because you get to watch all of the home games Uh, but what's really special about it is you get to vote you get to run the club um you get to come to our meetings which are not like you know people who come for the first time think it's going to be like a podcast that they listen to but it isn't you can ask questions you can give opinions you can you know if there's something that you love you can shout out about it if there's something that you hated that you think we shouldn't be doing you can also shout out about it um and the most exciting thing is you can run to be director so our board is actually made up of fan owners um and you know if you if you've been with the club for a while like what we're doing and if you think you can contribute you you can actually run in an election and be part of our board um and we we need more women at board level um so we're trying to encourage more women to come along and to become fan owners and to help within the club any way they can i mean it really does highlight that just to return to kind of where we started that it's so much more than a football club um because just what you've described there is something that could be so empowering for so many women um, and men in terms of becoming part of this really inclusive, energized community that is all working towards this this incredible platforming of voices and representation. Um, and I think that's amazing. <laughs> just to just to finish off, because I know that I mentioned it in my in my email. Um, you're something of a runner too. I've I've, I've sleuthed on your um on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a real runner. I do park run. Um, and well, I I did an ultra a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not in the running world as I am the football world. I know you're, you've kind of um, also shared some of the things that um, She Races, which is founded by the ultra-runner Sophie Power, who's um, notorious for having breastfed uh, on UTMB, which is uh, one of the biggest mountain races in the world and focuses on getting women to start lines by working with race directors. Do you see what Lewis is doing as being part of these wider conversations that are happening in women's sport in general because again this isn't just about football as a sport it's about kind of a a seismic change that's happening across the board really I think as well isn't it absolutely I think a lot of what she races shout out about are a lot of the things that we do that we shout out about that we want other football clubs to be doing so a, a lot of what um they talk about is visibility and representation for women. So a lot of the, um, you know, pictures that you get advertising races or pictures of people at the at the start line. So it's it's the same within football and what we're trying to do with having female representation in our fan photos and within within fans in general, but then also within within football. So representation is key. Um, what I mentioned about like having merch for women, like they also shout out about. So it's things like making sure um, that there's like a women's fit and women's T-shirts in general um, on race day. 
So a lot, you know, a, a lot of the issues in sport in general are are the same across the board. Yeah, it's like you don't want to get to a finish line. Someone is like, well done. Here's a T-shirt that isn't going to fit you. <laughs> Congratulations. I hope you feel welcome. <laughs> or not even acknowledge that you've won a race, which is terrible in, you know, with, with the loads of women who have like um, won races most of the time. Like, you know, you don't even get acknowledged because you, you're the first woman and not necessarily the first to win the race. You're not the first man. Mm. And as we've as we've said that it's directly representation of what you were saying to do with, you know, it's about actually getting women into playing football and being able to stay playing football as it is about kind of equal pay and everything as well. First of all, we've got to get them there and feeling like they belong on the pitch too. <laughs> my final question, which is one that I ask all of my guests, is what does joy mean to you? Oh, um, Oh, I don't know. I, I, my, my dog gives me a lot of joy. So uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, spending time with with my dog is generally, yeah, it gives me lots of joy, which is probably a really pathetic answer. Um, but we're also like dogs are a big part of what we do as well. We're one of the only dog friendly championship clubs as well. And um, so that's something else that's quirky and fun um, about the club. So, yeah, watching football with my dog is generally um, a great day out. I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.